We ready, Metro? We ready? All right, let's, let's, let's get into this. Uh, so today's message comes from personal experience. It comes from real life. It comes from a real life situation that happened to me just a few weeks ago. And not every sermon I write comes to me in this way, but, but this message comes from real life because real life will preach to you if you listen. It'll preach harder to you if you don't listen. Who, who can attest to that? Who says amen? Yeah, yeah, I see two hands over here. Yeah, there you go. Uh, because we know what that's like. And so here's, here's the story. Here's the story. You may have noticed, but I am rocking some very nice brand new Nikes. These are sweet, right? Like, aren't they so nice? Like, come on, this angle though, this angle. Okay. Um, I'm not materialistic. This, there's a point to the story. Don't write me off yet. Um, but they're nice. They're nice. My wife got them for me for Father's Day. I got two crazy little boys, so she thought, you know, you need white shoes. Uh, but, you know, to be fair, I did kind of pick them out because they're sweet. Uh, but I get them on, I put them on, lace them up, tie them up, you know, I got this cool little, like, strap around it, and I'm just like, man, these are cool. I'm literally like, doing this in the mirror, you know, like, I don't get nice things anymore. I'm a dad, and so I'm like, these are nice. So I walk out into the living room, the living room area, and, and then I hear these little, little feet coming, you know? And I'm like, oh, my little, my, my buddies are coming. So I turn, they're coming in from outside. <laughs> so you kind of know where this is going already. And my youngest, Theodore, runs, and he doesn't just like run and jump into my arms like he normally does. I don't get it. He did something different. He ran up to me, ran up in front of me, and then jumped on my shoes, <laughs> and then jumped to me. <laughs> and of course, they're now caked in dirt because he was outside. I've had these shoes for 45 seconds. I can't have nice things. This is, parent, this is parenthood is what this is. And so I'm kind of like frustrated. I, 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 I like set him down. I'm like, buddy, like, what are you doing? You know, in my, in my head, I'm not like saying a lot worse things, but like I run over to the bathroom and so I get out, you know, the washcloth and the soap because like there's just a little footprint right there. So I'm like trying to, you know, clean it off best I can and, and, and do this. And, and so while I'm doing this, I start beating myself up a bit because, you know, when, when bad stuff happens to you, you go to the dark place. And us pastors are no different. We go to the dark place. And so I start beating myself up, you know, and I'm just like, man, man, I can't have nice things anymore. These little boys run this house and I'm about to have a little girl who's going to run them. So I'm in big trouble. I'm, like, I'm supposed to have my life together. Some husband I am, some dad I am. I'm supposed to have my life together and I can't even keep shoes clean for a literal minute. And so, you know, I'm, I continue down this dark path for just a bit over the smallest things. I'm lecturing myself to the fact I can't have nice things. But then a thought comes to me. I start plotting. How could I avoid this from ever happening again? You know, because I gotta, I gotta keep them nice. Thankfully, it was just dirt, uh, but, but I got to keep them nice. So, so I start thinking like, okay, uh, uh, what's the first way I could make sure these never get dirty again? Number one, I can never wear them. Sorry, that's not happening. That's definitely not happening. The second thing, you know, you know, if, if little Teddy, little Theodore wasn't around as often, then, well, okay, well, that's not going to happen. He's my little boy, you know? Um, and so the third option was, okay, I could keep them in their bright red box and, and, and just go wherever I need to go and then change into them upon arrival, which is exactly what I did today to make sure no scuffs came, no scuffs in Jesus' name came onto these shoes today. And so, and so I'm a little extra. You're going to find that out a bit more as you get to know me. But that's who I am as a person. I will go the extra mile for clean shoes. But... But I go back to this previous thought. 
I go back to the previous thought. Well, if, if, if Theodore wasn't around, and it stuck with me, if he wasn't around, and then I realized how selfish of a thought this really was, how sad it was that I could think something so terrible that I would trade having nice shoes for meaningful relationships. Like, like, like who else thinks of these stupid things like this. And so at this point, I feel pretty bad, and then I'm feeling pretty sentimental, you know, like tears in my eyes and everything, like, you know, I would never trade that buddy for anything, you know? And, and so I just, like, I stopped cleaning the shoes for a moment, and I just listen. I can hear him laughing with his older brother in the other room, and it's just this beautiful moment for, for, a, for a minute, and I think, man, there will come a day when I will wish for these scuffs on my shoes. I'm going to wish for the mess on my shoes again. I'm going to wish I had dirt on my shoes again. And so it made me think of when we first moved up here uh, to Michigan, like some eight, nine months ago. And, and so my wife and I and these two little boys come up here and and, uh, you know, I'm this, like, young pastor trying to prove myself, and, and, and this pastor up in, you know, Michigan taking a chance on me. I got to prove myself. So before our first official pastor's meeting, I make sure I got the haircut, brush the teeth twice. You know, I show up 10 minutes early. Didn't matter. He was, like, six minutes late. Those of you who know him, uh, amen. Uh, and, so, and so I'm sitting there at Baxter's over at the Riverview campus, and, and you know, he shows up, and so we start our first official pastoral meeting. I'm trying to impress the big guy, let him know you are taking a good chance on me. It's a good thing you're betting on me, and, and trying to prove myself. Like five minutes into the meeting, I hear familiar monster yells. Wait, and I look, and here come my boys running at me saying, Daddy! You know, like I didn't just leave the house an hour ago. You know, it's like I have been gone for weeks and they're running to me and I'm like, oh man, my first pastor's meeting, you know, and I'm trying to impress him. And, and so they run, they're crawling all over me and my wife is close behind. So I'm kind of like looking at her. And, and while I verbally didn't say this with my eyes, those of you who are married definitely know this to be true. With my eyes, I, I was saying a lot and, you know, the eyes are like this big and I'm just like telling her with my eyes, uh, honey, what are you doing? This is my first meeting. I'm trying to be professional. Like I'm trying to impress the boss. Like, like come on, I, got, I can't have kids crawling all over me. What are you doing to me? I said all this with my eyes and she definitely heard it. And, and so finally, finally, while they're like jumping all over me, Pastor Jeremy kind of gets down on their level. And he's like, hey guys, you know, and they're still getting to know him a little bit. So, so he talks to them, makes them laugh and, and different things like that and, and giggle and everything. And then they, you know, go on down to uh, the big playscape. Well, they, they all move on down and, and Pastor Jeremy takes a seat and he just kind of, he, um, he sighs. He's like, oh man, Kevin, enjoy them while they are young, because the day will come when you will wish they were small again. And so I'm sitting here cleaning these stupid shoes, thinking, I am going to miss the mess of my kids. I definitely don't right now. But one day, I will miss this. I'm told this a lot. And so I, I will miss the mess of my kids. I will wish for the mess of my kids again. And so instead of beating myself up over these dirty shoes, I started thinking, what could the mess on my shoes actually represent? What could the dirt on my shoes 
really represent? What does it really mean? Does it really mean I'm a slop and I can't have nice things? Or does it mean that I have a very, very excitable little boy who loves his dad so much that he can't stay away from me? Does it really mean, does the dirt on my shoes, does the mess on my shoes really mean that I am a total slop and I'm just failing at being a clean person? Or does it mean I'm a love dad? I mean, does the mess on my shoes really mean I'm a terrible person? Or does it mean that my boys live in a place and are able to go outside and play in the dirt, and play in the mud, and come in, and have fun, and they are healthy enough to do so. What does the mess really mean? What does the mess in your life really mean? Because it's easy to see it as a mess and complain, but what does it really mean? The dirt on my shoes. So I start thinking of this concept of dirt. I'm super intellectual, obviously, dirt. So I'm thinking of dirt. Like all week long, the story's in my head, Pastor Jeremy's down with a kidney infection, you know, what an excuse. And then I'm, I'm thinking, what could I really gather out of this? So, so I look up dirt, I look up dust, all in the Bible. And so I, I found a ton of stuff, a lot of stuff. Did you know, like, the Bible starts very quickly in dirt, in dust. Genesis 2, 7 says, then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. You see, we come from the dirt. You and I, we come from the dust. And so I wanna take a little bit of time today to talk about this because this is where we all started. This is where we all started, in the dirt, in the dust, in the mess. And I think God is going to give us some direction from the dirt. I think he's going to give us some meaning in the mess that we see. So the first thing I want to talk about is this idea that we misinterpret our mess. We misinterpret our mess. And so there's this phrase I've been saying for years. Um, and, and some weeks it's definitely truer than other weeks. But the, the, the phrase is simple. No mess, no ministry. Think about it for a sec. No mess, no ministry. And so I got this from Proverbs 14, 4, where it says, um, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. You see, us young pastors, we pray that God would give us a great ministry, but real ministry is messy. So if we want a great ministry, then we want one without people, because people are messy. And that's what Proverbs 14.4 is trying to say, that everyone wants the strength that the oxen bring, but no one wants to shovel out the stuff the oxen produce. We want, we want the good without the bad, and that's not how life works. No mess, no ministry, no dirty footprints on my new Nikes, no little feet to put them there. Think about this in, in, in reference to your own life. And so with this idea in mind, you know what I started doing recently? I started looking at other areas of my life. Like where am I misinterpreting the mess? Where, where am I getting something off? And it happened just this week. Just this week, listen, like God will speak to you in all kinds of ways. And for me, he does it often through my children. And so it's crazy. But I get home 
It all usually means I get angry in the end, but God still speaks to me. It's great. I, I, I pull into my home, into my driveway, and my boys had left some toys in the driveway, so I couldn't pull all the way in. And you know, like, listen, the Bible says God will put you through trials, and this was definitely one. Y'all, I had to take my seatbelt off. I, I had to open the door. I had to step out of my car while it was still running, shut the door. I had to walk nine feet, guys. I had to walk nine feet to move this battery-powered ATV over and out of the way before I could get back into my car, but God saw me through it. He is good. And so anyway, while I'm moving this ATV, while I'm moving it out of the way, I'm lecturing my children in my head. And listen, I had such a good lecture plan. Three points, funny illustrations. It was so good. And, and, and so it was all going to be about responsibility. And so as I'm pulling in, all of a sudden, the thought comes to me, what does the ATV really mean? And I'm like, really? Really? Right now? What does the ATV really mean? Does the ATV really represent two irresponsible little boys or does the ATV represent a gift from neighbors that love us so much, they just gave it to us. They gave it to my little boys. What mess are you misinterpreting today? I don't doubt for a second that there are people who can hear my voice right now who would love to have a kid's ATV to move out of their way but for some reason or another, you've never had that chance. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy how people live without the very things we complain about. People live without the very things you complain about. We're misinterpreting our mess. I have a healthy little boy to come mess up my shoes. And I'm mad. That's, that, that's not okay. That's not right because... No mess, there's no ministry. No mess, there's no marriage. No mess, there's no mission. No mess, no ministry. No dirty footprints on my shoes. There's no little feet to put them there. And so we, we misinterpret our mess time and time and time and time again, over and over and over and over. It's in the mess where some of the most meaningful things in our lives will happen to us. Because I've officiated a lot of weddings. I've officiated a lot of funerals. And I have, more, I have had more spiritual encounters, spiritual conversations, spiritualization in general, in the mess of a funeral than I ever have at the celebration of a wedding. Because there's meaning in that mess. There's, there's meaning in your mess. God wants to speak to us through the mess in our lives. Don't misinterpret your mess. Don't, don't just dismiss your mess because you'll lose the meaning. Early on in our marriage, Kelsey would always apologize for the big mess she would make after fixing food. And so all of a sudden, I made a connection. The better the food, the bigger the mess. Someone say amen to that. Like, like come on, like... So, so, so I was like, honey, you've got to stop apologizing. You have to stop apologizing. Because the bigger the mess, come on, the better the quality. And I'm all about quality. And so I tell her, baby, you mess up any dish you need to these days because it's awesome. Because, because making things messy is just a part of life. Are we misinterpreting this? And so see, you have to stop beating yourself up 
over the dirt on your shoes, over the failed relationship, the failed friendship, over the thing that he said, over the thing that she said to you. Because the mess is an opportunity for God to grow you. The mess is an opportunity for God to heal you. The mess is an opportunity for God to speak to you. Are you with me today? That is what God is wanting to do with us. What mess are you misinterpreting? What would happen? What would happen if you actually went home today and saw the same things that you left, but you didn't see the mess? You didn't see the mess. Instead, you saw through the mess because in the mess is a message. In the mess is the ministry. In the mess is the meaning. In the midst of your mess, God has something to say to you. What's he gonna say to you in the midst of your mess? What's God speaking to you right now? Yeah, that mess. If you would, if you would just give it to him, what would he do with it? We're misinterpreting our mess. There's a meaning in your mess. Don't, don't miss what the mess represents. People say, people say all the time, oh, I'm such a mess. Yes, yes you are. Do, do you forget you're human? Do you forget where you come from? You come from the dust. Yes, you're a mess. You are messy. You are fragile. You are human. That is why Jesus came, because we are human I mean, I, I feel like there are plenty of new moms, especially, they are so hard on themselves because, because having a baby changes the way you look. Listen, you pushed a baby out of your body. You are allowed to look different. Come on, so, someone, there you go. The new mom in the back, yes. But listen, it's true because some of the most messy things in life are the most beautiful. Some of the most messy things in life are absolutely the most beautiful things in life. We're about to have our third kid. Number one, because we're crazy. Number two, because it's beautiful, it really is. And, and listen, when the kid literally comes, homeboy's not wearing these shoes, uh, because it's messy. It's messy, and for those who want to practice abstinence, this is a great, this is a great encouragement to that. Go watch a live birth. Uh, yeah, it'll help you a lot. Um, now, don't misinterpret, don't misinterpret your mess. You have a mess in your life. You have multiple messes in your life if you're like me. Don't misinterpret what God is wanting to do in that. And so listen, I wanna jump into a quick little Bible story and, and I wanna focus on this one in particular. It comes to us from the book of John because this is like a crazy thing, a crazy thing Jesus does. And he gives us some direction from the dirt. Check this out. John chapter eight, picking up at verse two. It says, early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, they brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Anyone ask, where's the man? Last I checked, there takes two people. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And they said this to test him. They're trying to trap Jesus that they may have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. And so they must have thought Jesus has lost his mind. Think of this. They bring the woman in, in front of them. And, and they have stones all around. They are ready to murder this woman. And what is Jesus' response? Oh, what? 
You know, like, like, like he's, just, he's just being so casual, you know? He's being coy, you know? And, and, and so, like, they must have thought Jesus had lost his mind. Like, he's just going to doodle in the dirt. Like, that doesn't make sense. But that's something that's, that, that the scholars have, have wondered for centuries. What on earth was Jesus actually writing? Because it doesn't say. It just says he was drawing in the dirt. He was writing in the dirt. It doesn't say what he was doing. And so people have debated this for so long. What on earth was Jesus drawing? What was he doodling? I just find it so interesting what the Bible includes and what the Bible doesn't include. And so picking up the story in verse seven, it says, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So listen, I have read the story and read the story and read the story a hundred times, probably just in the last year. It's a very popular story. Um, and, and so the, the question is like, what was Jesus writing? Like sure, he said something that was, had a lot of gravity to it, but what on earth could he be writing? So people theorize about this. They wonder what on earth could Jesus have been writing? So there are a few theories. I wanna share a couple with you. The first one is that Jesus, in a very holy manner, was doodling. He was just drawing, like, you know, stick people, you know? Like, he was just doodling uh, in, in a way to show, like, I'm not bothered by these religious people, you know? So he's just doodling. Another theory is that he was writing a scripture reference or a full, you know, passage because Jesus knew passages off the top of his head. He knew his Bible very well. So that's the second theory. But the most interesting theory that I find the, the most interesting theory that I think is out there is that he was writing the names of the people in the circle, holding those stones to kill this woman, and out from their names he was writing their secret sins. And so they probably thought, we've got dirt on her, but Jesus had dirt on them. Think of that, think of that. So, so he gets down in the dirt and he begins writing. Could you imagine if he actually did that? You know, like, here's everyone, serious situation, super intense. You can hear the dramatic music in the background if it were a movie. And Jesus, Jesus, he's just, he's just, you know, writing. But, but picture, if he were writing names in sins, this is kind of what it would look like in my head. You know, like, number one, Michael. Friday night, lust, and then he draws like a line, draws a big circle, and in the circle he writes, Steve's wife. So you know what Michael does? He drops that stone real quick and he just gets out of there really fast. <laughs> and, and Steve notices, so he drops his stone because he wants to go have a discussion with Michael and see what's going on. And so it's fascinating because in verse nine, it says that the older ones left first. And so if this were the case, I think it's because the older ones would have the most dirt. Jesus would have a lot to work with with the older ones. So they don't want any part of that and they want out. So they leave. I mean, that, that's just crazy to think about. But Jesus, Jesus is the one without the sin. He's the one who could have thrown the stone at this woman. If anyone could, it would be him. And so the Pharisees bring this woman and they say, we've got dirt on her. And Jesus isn't going to throw a stone at her. The only one who could won't do it. And so you see, we know the ending of the story because we've read the story a whole lot. We, we know the end of the story. But in this moment, this woman does not know what's going to happen. She sees the people leaving 
And eventually it's just down to her and one other person, the one person who has never sinned. It's just her and Jesus. And I am sure she is still terrified because she doesn't quite know what Jesus is going to do. What is Jesus going to do with my dirt? Because he knows it. And she's full of shame. She's full of guilt. She's weak. She's worn out. She feels like a failure. And Jesus, and Jesus, what does he do? In verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. The only one who could have thrown a stone chose not to. You see, Jesus, Jesus had all the dirt on this woman. And he chose not to drag her through it, but instead he chose to raise her up to a new life of forgiveness, a new life of mercy, a new life of grace, and a new life of love. And some of you are in here today because you think that you are nothing but a failure. You think you are nothing but weak. You think you are nothing but worn out. You are defined by your shortcomings, by your sins, by your struggles. But God is telling you right now, Jesus is saying, I do not condemn you. Instead, I'm gonna raise you up. I am not going to drag you through this dirt. I'm going to raise you up to a new life, and I'm going to ask you to live differently. That is Jesus. And he's speaking in that same way today because, why? Because there is mercy in your mess. This woman is probably dealing with the biggest mess of her life. And it was her invitation from Jesus for mercy. There is mercy in your mess. There is mercy in your mess, just like this woman, because Jesus has all the dirt on you, but he refuses to pick up the rock and throw them at you. But you have to be aware, you have an enemy. You have an enemy if you follow Jesus. And that enemy will pick up the stones. And that enemy will look at you and he will say, I can't believe you said that. Remember when you did that. Remember when you said that. And he'll just throw these stones and he'll remind you of who you are. He'll remind you of the sins. He'll remind you of the struggles. He'll remind you and he'll remind you and he will remind you over and over and over. But listen to me, when the accusations fly, remember what Jesus said. I did not come to condemn you. I came to raise you up. I came to give you a new life. I came to give you you, grace. I came to give you love. I came to give you a new life. Amen. Do not listen to the voice of the enemy telling you you're not good enough and that your past will always hold you back. I mean, if you're familiar with the story of the prodigal son, the, the, the son that, that left his dad, went and lived wild, but came back, his, his dad, upon seeing him, his dad did not say, oh, you need to go change your clothes. You need to get cleaned up. Go take a bath. You need to do this. You need to do that. His dad did not make it difficult for him to come home. God does not make it difficult for you to come to him. God does not say, no, clean up and then come to me. He says, come to me as you are. You're covered in poop. You're covered in dirt. You're covered in mud. You smell like a pigsty. But boy, you're home. And I am happy that you are home. He's happy when you come home. Just come home to him today. Welcome home is what God is telling you. He's saying, come home. Mercy is yours go live differently. Come home. And so there is someone here today that just needs to know that, that there is mercy in the midst of your mess. There is mercy in your mess. And so this is the last thing I want to share with you. This last thing. 
And it is simply this. There is a miracle in your mess. There is a miracle in your mess. And so we just read about how Jesus and the woman caught in adultery, you know, how they interacted and how he, he, he showed her mercy and everything. But in the very next chapter, we read another very bizarre story. And so we go from John chapter 8 to John chapter 9. And picking up in verse 1, it says, as he, being Jesus, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born this way? They're asking, who's mess? Who's at fault? Whose mess is this? And, and, and Jesus answered, it was, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. Jesus is saying, life happens. It's not that they did anything wrong. Life happens. And he says, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day because night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The Bible says that this man was born blind. No one really knows why. The man was born blind, but the Bible does not say he was born deaf. So think of this. He's, he's within shouting distance. He's within distance to hear all these things people are saying about him. He's within distance to hear. Jesus is close by and he can hear what's going on. And so Jesus was very popular in this day. He, he healed all kinds of people. He did all kinds of things, including the blind. He healed them. And so I'm sure this man is expecting Jesus is going to heal him. He's probably so excited he can hear Jesus coming. And so check this out. Uh, verse 6. It says, having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Man, you gotta feel bad for this blind guy. You gotta feel bad for him in this case. Think about it. Here he is, blind while everyone else can see. Here he is, listening to all the gossip about why he's probably blind. And he's just thinking, I was born this way. I didn't do anything. And he's been, he's been sitting his whole life just blind, cannot see a thing. He has no control over it. But now Jesus shows up, and I do not doubt that he is so excited Jesus is there. You know, he knows who Jesus is, so he's stoked. He's so excited. So, so just picture him for a moment, sitting there, and he's kind of, he can hear it. He, he knows Jesus is coming. He can even hear, like, the footsteps, right? Jesus is walking closer. He's so excited. He's like, here comes my healing. I'm going to hear it. I'm going to feel the hand on my eyes. It's going to happen. But what does the blind man hear? <laughs> That's weird. And if I'm the blind man, I'm thinking, that's a weird sound. Maybe he's clearing his throat. I, I do that. I get that. He's clearing his throat. Here it comes. Here it comes. But no, that's, that's not what comes next. This, this guy, this guy, you got to feel bad for him. You, you, you can almost hear it, that he's just wondering what's happening. What's going to happen to him? You got to feel bad for this guy. Now, I don't, I don't just read the Bible and, and try to feel like it's happening to someone else. I try to put myself in the Bible. And so, and so go with me for a moment. Like, close your eyes. If, if you can hear me, close, go ahead, close your eyes. And, 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 and picture that you are this blind man. Put yourself in the Bible and think of this. You hear him coming. Jesus is walking over. But then you hear the, and then you're wondering what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, something wet and muddy hits your face. And the situation has gone from bad to worse. And you're just like, what's going on? What is happening? But then Jesus gives him further instruction. Jesus gives him further instruction. Uh, scripture says, Then Jesus anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. 
So he went and washed and came back seeing. He came back seeing. So Jesus puts a big mess on this man's face. But it was the man's miracle, right? There was a miracle in that man's mess. That's what happens when Jesus gets a hold of your life. He will create a mess. But there's a miracle through your mess. There's, there's a miracle in the midst of your mess. But the question here is still very plainly, why did Jesus actually do that if, he, if the man had to go wash in the pool anyway? Why would Jesus humiliate this poor fella and spit and make mud and put it on this man's face? Why would Jesus do this to him? But I think it's deeply profound because, because Jesus is doing something here that is huge because dirt in the Bible, dirt in the Bible represents humanity. Dirt represents our weak and fragile state because it is, it is where we come from and one day where you will return. We come from the dirt, we're fragile, that's who we are. And so knowing that and keeping that in mind should make us humble. Knowing that we come from the dirt and that we are fragile should make us humble. Jesus healing this man involved more than just dust, right? We were created in the dust, but Jesus heals the man with mud. So that means he needed saliva too. And that means we have dust, we have water. And water almost always represents God's spirit in the Bible. Water almost always represents the spirit of God. So Jesus takes the dirt, he takes the weak, he takes the human, and he takes something that represents the divine, the water, that's the spirit of God. And, and so he, he, he does this. And so God is telling us today the same exact principle. He's saying, if your life feels like dirt, if your marriage feels like dirt, if everything about you feels like dirt, if your mess feels like dirt, just add water. Just add God's spirit into your mess because there is a miracle in your mess. Is someone listening today? There is a miracle in your mess. There's healing in your mess. There's a miracle in that. You just have to add the spirit of God. Just add water as Jesus does. Because when Jesus makes a change in your life, he will always make a mess at first. There will always be a mess. But when he pours into your life, when he pours into your struggles, when he pours into your sin, when he pours into your shortcomings, when he pours into your regrets, he pours in his grace, his compassion, his mercy, his love, his patience. He pours all of these things into you because there's a miracle happening in your mess. It's just you're misinterpreting what God is wanting to do. So God is saying, bring me your dirt, bring me your regrets, bring me your mess, and I will show you a miracle. Pastor, Pastor Stephen Furty put it this way. He said, what the world calls failure, God calls fertilizer. And I think that is absolutely 100% true because we have to take, we must take these situations in our lives that seem hopeless, that seem dark, that seem dirty and allow God to add his spirit into our mess and watch what happens because there's a miracle in your mess. Don't miss the miracle within your mess because you're misinterpreting it. You see, we must be people that come to God and simply say, do what you have to. Because in the case of this blind man, it was spit on me, Lord. It was spit on me. 
And I will pray that prayer every day until I die if I need it. I will say, spit on me, Jesus. Whatever you need to do so I can actually see what you're trying to do in my life, what you want to move in my mess, what you want to do in me, Lord, do whatever. Restore my vision and my shortcomings because I'm a messy person. And there are those of us today that need to know that you're not alone in your mess and that you, you, you perhaps you, you are misinterpreting the mess in your life. Maybe you're misinterpreting the mess in your life because you're not seeing that God wants to give you mercy through that. He wants to give you mercy in, in your mess. Why? Because there's a miracle in your mess. There's a miracle there waiting to happen. It's just, are your eyes open enough to see it? Let's do this, Metro. Let's do this together. Let's come together and let's be there for each other. Could we do that for you today? We would love the opportunity to pray with you. We would love the opportunity to get in your mess with you because we are family. Is that right? We are a family around here. No mess, no ministry. No mess, no ministry. No mess, no marriage. No mess, no mission. We have a mission. We have a mission. We have a mission today. So let's take that into our weeks. Let's take this into our days and remember that mission. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the messiness of life. We thank you for for what you're doing through that mess. I pray great mercy through that mess. I, I pray for great patience and resolve and long suffering through these messes, Lord. Thank you so much. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Listen, we would love the opportunity to talk with you. Maybe, maybe you want to take your next step with God. Maybe you don't even know what that means. Could we get in your mess with you? Could we jump into your mess with you? You won't hear that every day at church, but could we jump into your mess with you? I'll have some people right up here on my left to your right who would love to do that for you, but let's do it together. God bless you, Metro. Go in peace.